This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. As always, I'm Steve Haller. Join me, uh, joining, joining me, joining, we're joining. Uh, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman are here with me. I'm going to stop trying to say join. How are we doing, guys? When's the last time you had a job in Syracuse for 311 days? What did I miss? No, that's how long Mark Coyle's uh, tenure oh. was at Syracuse. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot we're, I forgot we're in the Coyle Bowl. Oh boy! Yes. Oh, this is the this is the dream job bowl. This is that that's what <laughs> yes, it is. This is the dream job bowl. That's the battle cool. of the dream jobs. Uh, the guy who the winner, hired the winner the winner's trophy is just your hopes and dreams. So it will be nothing, but you yeah. know that is speaking uh, physically. Winner gets coil as AD, right? That's just how it works, right? <laughs> Oh God! Oh. Um, I know that I have my thoughts on on John Wildax and AD, but somehow I think that Mark Coyle's. I mean, this is this is the crazy part. We should also probably mention this. If you somehow live under a rock and haven't heard, Syracuse is going to the Pinstripe Bowl on December 29th uh, in New York City at Yankee Stadium. They will be playing the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Who uh, the athletic director at Minnesota is Mark Coyle, who was famously the athletic director that hired Dino Babers and then promptly left Syracuse after he said Syracuse was his dream job and he was ready to come back home to Syracuse. He then left less than a year later to go to Minnesota, his other dream job, and go back home and then stay for a long time. 
Um, and this is yeah. this is post the Marone Dream Job era too. So this is yes, yeah, uh, yeah. We Syracuse has been the site of multiple dream jobs. I feel like so something is, about those salt potatoes, man. <laughs> <laughs> they do call us uh, hallucinogenics in certain situations. <laughs> God. Uh, God. <laughs> yeah. uh, gents, uh, we we talked about it a lot on the site this week. We talked about it a lot on the last couple of podcasts. But at the end, we are at the end of the Syracuse football regular season, and the Orange finished seven and five. Uh, I tweeted out about their schedule. They faced nine bowl teams, two teams of which were playing in championship Saturday. Um, they, this was a gauntlet of a schedule and they managed to go seven and five, which was what most people thought was the upper limits of their ceiling. And we now get a, essentially a home to a home game as a bowl game in New York city on the, in the pinstripe bowl. This is probably this was the best case scenario for the season am i wrong or uh, like i know that the sick the five game losing streak is in there there's these other things that people want to focus on but ultimately uh christian you nodded if you're not watching us on twitch uh christian nodded his head this this was the this was the best case scenario for the team was it not I think you could make a case that the ceiling could have been up by a win or two if certain injuries didn't happen on this team, namely Chris Elmore, Stefan Thompson, Terry Lockett. If injuries like that didn't happen, Garrett Williams also at the end of the season, although by the time he got injured, most of those teams probably would have been in Syracuse anyway. Um, if those key injuries didn't happen, you could have made a good argument, and I, uh, I wouldn't necessarily disagree at first glance to bump up the wind ceiling by a couple. But at the beginning of the season, this is what we probably should have expected. Now, if you want to revise it at the end of the season and say, yeah, injuries could have, if injuries didn't have. Hold on, folks. I think we're uh, having some technical difficulties on the Discord side. Uh, let me see if I can figure out what's going on here. It got into with somebody who was basically talking about how, like, Seven and five is a mediocre program. Like we need to start. There. I pulled the Steve and went. Do you realize how high of a ceiling mediocre is for the Syracuse team since the year two thousand? Because let me tell you, probably even prior mediocre to that. right now is basically the is the ceiling for the Orange. There is no reason we should be anything more than mediocre. Us being mediocre is us overachieving. And Steve, you're back here. Yes. Um, great. Um, tell us t just. I know that I can't, this is a, your opinion and your opinion is correct. Um, but like, this is <laughs> Dino Babers' second winning season, his second bowl, which now ties him for the most bowls in the post Pascaloni era. Yeah. Which is mildly insane. Um, it, it's, it's been a ride since 2004. Uh, the, the glories of the champ sports bowl under Paul Pascaloni uh, seem to be, fresh in the minds of many people around here for some reason. Um, the tail end of the tail end of the Pascaloni era was uh, mired in mediocrity. We've had mediocrity since we at this point have no reason to expect more than mediocrity outside of a fluke 10 and three season uh, that could have been just as easy a six and four season. Um, I, well, that would have required us to not play a couple games, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, the math is not my strong point. The, he, uh, any any of the situations in and around 
what Syracuse has been for these past 20 years needs to get a reset and kind of culminate in just make a damn bowl game because we haven't been mediocre. Mediocre is well above where we've been punching. And the unfortunate thing is that 10 and three season kind of skewed a lot of fans perceptions just because so many things went right for that team in that season. It's you had, you had a bunch of senior leadership, um, healthy, a healthy team, um, consistency and like all of that coming together. Um, just the amount of like veterans on that team and the health of that team is really what pushed that uh, that particular season to the heights that it became. It's the football equivalent. That 10-3 season is the football equivalent of all the stupid postseason runs we've had since 2013 in basketball. We've literally yes. been doing the same thing in both sports. You know, what I... that team, you know what that team is? It's the 2019 Washington Nationals without Juan Soto. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'll track you there. Huh. They, uh... Yeah. yeah. What what do you think... Actually, on that 2018 team, what do you think the wins against replacement were for uh, uh, Cody Martin and... uh, uh, God, what was the other (laughs) tackle? Not Cody Conway. Um, Cody Martin should... is I He's on an NFL roster. Like, I think that that's like... When was like Justin Pugh and him are playing on the same team? Yeah, is he still with them? He's still he's showing up on the Cardinals page. Mm-hmm. Oh, how about well, how about that? Like, I don't think fans realize just how good that 2018 team was on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> I mean, they remember Dungey and they remember Dungey being amazing. But the reason Dungey was amazing was because that offensive line legitimately hung with everyone. Like, I remember that Clemson game in Clemson. That Clemson defensive front was stacked with first and second round players. And the Syracuse offensive line held their own. And not even in a, oh, we gave it a good effort and got worn down thing. No, no. They won the battle in the trenches 51% of the time. Um, Just absolutely insane how good that team was up front. And a lot of it was due to the individual talent there. Um, on that note, I also got into uh, in these Twitter arguments that I should never engage in. Um, I said the statement that looking at this team and the five one and five end to the season and saying that it was a failure and we missed expectations is equivalent to saying that a sweet 16 run for a 500 basketball team makes it a good season. Um, was I being purposefully obtuse? Maybe. <laughs> Do are you, I? Are you inaccurate? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, so much of this season, uh, like, Steve, we, we've kind of talked about this before, but, like, again, you reorder this schedule in any other way, and 7 and 5 feels a lot better, but... Like when you were doing the predictions at the beginning of the season and you you and I were tasked on being a bit more optimistic, there was no way at looking at that stretch of it being anything other than where the Syracuse season went to die. Unless you were our dogs or Christian's cat, there was no chance in hell you were thinking they were making it out of that with more than one win. Like that was a murderer's row designed to eat up this team. 
And it did. And it was going to. And they still had a good, like, they're seven and five. When is the last time we saw seven and five outside of the spike? It's been a while. Well, and I think this is Christian. I think this is something that's going to be really interesting, and we're going to talk about this all off season. Um, no Syracuse coach since Doug Marone, uh, actually, I don't even know if Marone did it, has had back to back bowl seasons for Syracuse since Coach P, um, because I think Marone right, losing yeah. losing bowl five and seven bowl, bowl left left. Yeah, so no coach has had back-to-back bowl seasons at Syracuse since Coach P, which, as we've established at the top of this segment, long-ass time ago. Um, we've seen Dino have the peak and then fail to meet the peak. But that failure was a 5-7 and seven season, and then the pandemic happened, um, which I think for a lot of programs that are in Syracuse's position was basically a reset in the worst way possible. Um is are we in a situation where Dino Babers making a bowl game next season? Obviously, that's going to be the fans' expectation. That is going to be what the administration says is the expectation. But realistically, like I looked at the schedule, it's not the worst schedule. It's not the best schedule. It's a but... schedule. There's, it's, there, better, there's it's, better a, than, it's better than this year's schedule. Yeah, like, there's a path for six wins. I'm just concerned about a lot of the things that you brought up earlier about what derailed this season. Um, there are certain players that if they get injured, the entire thing goes to shit, and that's not really changing next year. And it doesn't help that the fact that a lot of... is that, that Syracuse is now faced with the problem that face the 2018 team was that all those veteran leaders that helped you get to this point are now leaving. Like Michael Jones is definitely gone. Garrett Williams is gone. Chris Elmore is gone. Your offensive line, what's left of it, is gone, save for Chris Bleich, which And Kalen Ellis. And Kalen Ellis. Like, Sean Tucker may or may not be gone. Like, there's a lot of pieces. Courtney, important pieces. Courtney Jackson entered the transfer portal. Courtney, yes, Courtney Jackson entered the transfer portal. Like, there's a lot of pieces there that you're going to have to replace, and that's in large part what led to the five and seven season uh, in 2019. It's that it's hard to reload a team, um, especially when you recruit like Syracuse does, and you have to replace a lot of veteran leadership that Syracuse yeah. had to. So, Steve, in that 2018 bowl game, um, very famously, West Virginia had half of its team opt out of the bowl game. And Syracuse... Including, including their starting quarterback. Yep, Will Greer. Um, and Syracuse opted to go with what essentially was a full-strength 22. Yeah. Um, they, and everybody that, that, was... Not only, not only a full-strength 22, that was also buoyed by... The last era of transfers who had to sit out a year. So remember, that right. was also that game was also the first games for Abdul Adams and Tristan Jackson. Right. Yes. And they had three touchdowns combined. Those <laughs> three. Yeah. So so I was laughing because I heard Will Greer and all I could think of was Will Greg. 
but uh, <laughs> because he's on fire, he is always on fire. Um, yeah, that I I think we might see some of the same kind of thing happen though. That was uh, what I was going to ask you, Steve. Like, what do you think we see? Slash, what would you rather see? <laughs> does it make sense for anyone who's got a potential NFL contract to play in this game? No, at all. No, like. I fully expect Matthew Bergeron and Mikel and uh, Tucker I to s- not. I sit. can see Mikel opting to play in the game. Yeah, but I don't see that incentive for Bergeron and Tucker. Are you seeing Mikel as a combine and com- combine and check guy, or like play himself into a higher spot type guy or type situation? I'm seeing him as the guy who, you know, claims himself and is rightfully so the leader of this defense and, mm. and probably yeah. the locker room leader of this team. And that is so, true. And Bergeron is also a captain. Yeah. Bergeron is also a captain. So you can maybe, you might be able to make a case for Bergeron, although I see it less so because we've seen so much of Mikhail's leadership. I mean, you've, I mean, you all read the player's tribune article probably before the Clemson game. Like yep. there's a lot of leadership elements in Mikhail that I think his natural football drive won't want him to miss this game even if it could you know hurt draft stock right no i can see that the uh, on the flip side i would doubt that uh minnesota's running back is playing either so that helps well, is he even i think he's let's, draft let's, eligible let's, isn't he? let's check <laughs> before we before we say for certain well i was gonna say like uh, uh, what you guys were talking about with Mikel is actually really interesting because I do think that that's a part of this whole bowl game equation. Part of it is that it is a reward for players on a season for Syracuse, at least a season where expectations were met slash exceeded. And this is a reward. It's an extra day. It's a, it's a trip to New York city for a lot of these guys, it's some sort of a homecoming when you factor in the New York area and New Jersey area ties. Um, they want to play in front of their families. That being said, I think that there's a ton of evidence that certain players and certain position groups should be rotated heavily because we now have what essentially amounts to three extra weeks of practice. Um, for this team. And obviously, guys are certain guys are hurt. Other guys are now stepping into the ones and the twos that weren't on the two deep at the beginning of the season. Um, I'm curious from both of you, and we can we can start with Steve, who would you like to see either take a step away um, and like not necessarily play in the bowl game? Or who would you like to see step up and say, I would like to see this player get some rope because of either one, I think that they're promising or two, this position group in general needs to start seeing some bodies step forward going into, going into next year. Well, um, you, you know, I know that was a leading question because you know, the group I'm going to talk about, uh, the question is, do you have a player for that group? (laughs) In all honesty, it's Enrique Cruz. Like he's got the most potential, for the for the group he's also most likely to slide in when bergeron sits out inevitably um i would personally like to see some of the young interior guards their guards and center options um not named Eloa or um well tisdale's not young 
But um, <laughs> like guys that not like, <laughs> Darius Tisdale is the opposite definition of young, right? Like not the guys that we know what we're gonna get with them. Like we've seen enough Aloha. In all honesty, we've probably seen enough Cruz, but he's going to be a starting tackle next year, so he needs reps. Um, guys like Joe Cruz, guys like Jacob Bradford, uh, a little bit more from them would be great. Uh, I I don't know. Um, and who the hell knows? Like, do we just play without a defensive line so that somebody might be healthy for the start of the twenty three season? I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, I mean, one of your ends is already injured for the year. That's Dennis Hawkes, so... You can't see him. Um, everyone else on the line is injured, so. <laughs> so we're just gonna line up the rest of the like the backup linebackers at D line and call it a day. Yeah. Okay, that'll work against a really good running attack. I mean, I, we did, and I, and I did look it up. I'm not sure if you did also, uh, Steve, yeah. but uh, but uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, who is uh, Minnesota's running back, fourth in the NCAA in rushing yards, first team All Big Ten. Um, he's a sixth-year senior. Yeah, and he holds so, every record at Minnesota, so it's not like he's playing for anything either. No. Um. So, I don't think he'll play. Um, because that's definitely a guy who could have an NFL future, especially with the numbers he put up this season. Yeah. Um. Now, that was largely helped because um. Minnesota had three offensive linemen selected to all Big Ten teams as well. Um, so minor, minor details. Minor details. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, again, we're back to the offensive linemen matter in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things here. Not a shocker. I yeah, mean, uh, like we need, we, need, we need to work on the big guys up front to protect the little guys behind them. It's, yeah. it's just because, basic. Because concept. we are returning to Yankee Stadium. That is very hashtag brand of yes. this podcast. Oh, damn it, I should have worn the Yankees hat. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's going to be great uh, to see you all come down to, to my neck of the woods for this very stupid and silly game that is also sponsored by Bad Boy Mowers for some reason. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Remember when, oh, no. remember when Bad Boy Mowers used to sponsor the Gasparilla Bowl, and that was like yes. the big joke among us? How the turns table. Yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And yeah, the... Uh, the... It just it's so fitting that a return to a bowl is in the pinstripe. Like nobody it, nobody's singing the praises of the pinstripe like it's some holy bowl to go to. It's it's a bowl. There was somebody that tweeted out seriously uh that players who were maybe thinking about transferring would enter the portal because this bowl game was such a letdown. 
like these players are actively weighing the difference between the Sun Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl <laughs> and the Tax Slayer Bowl <laughs> and the Military Bowl as if there's like a fundamental difference to them over any of if these bowl games that aren't the playoff. That only applies if you are Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, etc., etc. I did not hear you say Syracuse in there, so I'm going to assume that we do not apply to this situation. You would be correct. Perfect. <laughs> the Stephen Godfrey hit the nail on the head. The playoff has ruined the collective way that the general public perceives college football. Just like everybody assumes that you and like the playoff expanding is just going to make it so much worse. Like uh, how many coaches are going to get a Mel Tucker deal because they got into the playoff as a 10 seed and played a Clemson team that is sleepwalking through the game close and they almost advanced in the playoff to the to the final four or some shit. I just I have I have zero faith in this in the playoff oh. doing anything except making the the richer teams even more rich. Well, maybe then people would stop asking why Clemson rushes the field after every win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. So you know who else loves college football traditions? <laughs> <laughs> that was a really bad segue, but we're talking about home field apparel. Our friends and makers of the finest purveyors of vintage collegiate apparel that you can find on the interwebs this side of college football. Uh, they have joggers, they have t-shirts, they have hoodies, they have uh, crew neck sweaters. Pretty much anything cozy and comfy with a vintage mascot on it, they have it. You should go check them out. Use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. They are currently running their 12 days of home field promotion, where they're going to be running a daily uh, promotion up until Christmas, which is just great. So keep an eye out on their social media accounts. Keep an eye out on their website um, for all the latest deals if you're looking to get that last-minute Christmas shopping in. Gentlemen... We received an early Christmas present from a Syracuse Athletics team. The Syracuse men's soccer team is headed back to the College Cup, a.k.a. the NCAA men's Final Four, for the second time in program history, the second time under Coach Mack. The last time was 2015, where they lost to Clemson uh, on penalties. In So technically, they did not lose to Clemson. They drew Clemson, they drew... and Clemson advanced on penalties. Oh, jeez. There we go, yes. I mean, listen, for those of you who might be degenerate enough to make bets on college soccer, uh, th these are very important distinctions. Um, are we going to be betting lines for this? <laughs> absolutely. No reputable sports book should no make it. bets on college soccer. Especially <laughs> especially this, this iteration of the College Cup, where Syracuse is the three seed, which, okay, that makes sense. And it's the highest sense. for ratings. <laughs> the next highest is the 12 seed in uh, uh, God, UNC who, Greensboro. Yep, Greensboro. I, I wanted to make sure I had the right UNC. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Creighton and Pitt, who are unseeded. So chaos has reigned supreme this year in college soccer, and I think SU may be the benefactor at this point. Although if we are going by basketball seeding, a one seed did make the Final Four. That is true. <laughs> That is true, yes. but this is, I, I it wrote us. it out to somebody. I was like, this is kind of the equivalence of like a one seed, a four seed, and then like two ten seeds making it. 
So basically, that NCAA tournament where Butler and UConn made the final four. I yes. mean, that championship game. Yep. Yeah, that would be that would be a quote effectively it. Yeah. And we're uh, hoping that Syracuse can take advantage of this. Well, gentlemen, how did Syracuse get there? They played yet another um, stress-inducing game, this time against a Vermont team that tied Syracuse when the Orange went up to Burlington earlier in the season. Uh, the revenge tour continued on. They won this one 2-1. Syracuse went up early 1-0, gave up an equalizer, and then scored in the second half to make it 2-1. Um, I was able to... I missed... The opening goal, which we'll talk about in a hot second, uh, because absolutely insane. But the the rest of the game kind of played out the way that Syracuse likes to play these games. Um, Vermont was def- obviously they got a goal and they were a bit dangerous. But unlike actually the Cornell game, which, again, I think was muddied up literally because of the weather, um, Syracuse was really controlling the midfield. Vermont wasn't really able to make a ton of incisive passes past the lines. They weren't able to do a ton consistently in pressuring the Syracuse back four in a way that made you felt like they got beat consistently. But they let Vermont have a good deal of the ball and then just opted to counter uh, counter them like hell. And there were many times, especially once the game opened up, once Vermont really had to chase it, where I thought this game could have probably ended four to one Syracuse. Like there were two very easily missed goals in the last few minutes. And if you start doing the expected goal, obviously there's no expected goals for college soccer, but like the expected goals math on that game, I think would show Syracuse probably had a lot more scoring opportunities that they didn't convert on than, than Vermont did the other way. They did. I think, yeah, and I think a trademark of this Syracuse team has been, especially on the defensive end, is that it's very hard to get the ball inside Syracuse's 18-yard box. Like, it really like, is. Whether it's, whether it's midfield pressure or the back three, you have to do something. Uh, you either have to rain down a, con- a ton of constant pressure or have a moment of individual magic to get the ball inside the penalty box in the first place. Yeah. And in, col- in the college game, especially in this era of the college game, there aren't going to be too many players who can take advantage of space outside the 18. But there was in this game, and not for Syracuse. Yes. Because I do want to talk about Vermont's goal, because holy, I don't know what it looked like but on film, but that thing on, was a wonder the, strike. Remember the, well, pen ga- remember the pen game where every goal was just kind of the jammiest crap in uh-huh. front of the box? Yep. This was the complete opposite. All three goals Bangers. were incredible. Yep. So, yeah, I guess Andy you said we'd go back to it. Um do you want to do you want to recap the uh the, the well, no, let's let's start off cuz before <laughs> before the 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 opener, uh Kirk Kalov had another opportunity. So, if anyone didn't know, anyone who's been following Kirk Kalov actually started on the right for Noah Singleman who's the normal right back uh, or right wing back for uh, for the side, what they ended up doing was pushing pushing the attack right off the front foot. I mean, that that in itself, switching Singleman for Kalov, is a purely offensive substitution, and it, mm-hmm. it came off. Like, they were, as she was in control from the, the get-go, and in the, like, probably in the first four minutes, they had a 
great chance from Kalov right probably right off the six, and he kind of just put it wide of the post. So it's it, the the offensive move paid off in the the roster shift. Yeah, that that lone decision turned Syracuse's formation from a half four back at sometimes five back to a complete three back. Yeah, which I mean that that back line of Olegonye, Curdy, uh, and Salim, like Abdi had probably one of the better games I've watched him play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and overall, that that back three, and this is without Booster Schoberg, who played most of the season at the middle of that. This back three has kind of morphed into they can't even bring booster back into the lineup because they're playing so well together which i didn't think i'd say no no and you know uh beginning of the year like olu was a little shaky and then abdi coming off of the injury and you know curdy had his moments and then by the end here once booster went out the three of them have kind of locked it right down so Booster's kind of been result resulted uh, or his resorted back to coming in uh, late in late in the game to close it out as a fourth center back emergency DM. Yeah, which I I do want to shout out Anthony Sinclair because he had another fine game kind of cleaning yeah. cleaning trouble up at the back. Mm-hmm. But um, now that we've buried the lead, uh, Olympico, yeah. Olympico, Olympico. <laughs> so. Pregler, would you like the honors of describing what went down? Are you alive? I mean, I would I like to, but I couldn't my tell. internet is being dumb again. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So no, I'm, yeah. The, uh, for those that do not know, an Olympico is when you score off of a corner kick, but you literally, it is the corner taker who scores the goal. Yeah. And it is incredibly hard there's a little bit of luck involved in these, but they're also, it's just basically you need to hit that four post with enough curl uh, that the goalkeeper literally has no play except to just throw his hands up and maybe touch it because you put enough curl on the ball that they're tracking it out in front uh, as well as to the far post. And I did not know that anyone on Syracuse had that much skill to do it, hence the luck part, but it was beautiful. It was, it's also why I think that um, I, you've seen this in the World Cup a bit. Obviously, the U.S. men's national team, talk about them later in a side tangent. Um, even though they weren't as, like, even if it's not great at corner kicks, getting corner kicks is still good because it means you get a free shot to just shove the ball into the 18-yard box. And this is what happens and this is why you will always take a corner kick above anything else is like, hey, listen, uh, this is an opportunity to do something stupid. And it, the stupid worked in Syracuse's favor this time. Yep. And again, like it was one of those things where I think up until the Olympico, Syracuse didn't really have any opportunities that you were like, oh, man, they should really be up in this one. Um, but it was deserved in the fact that Syracuse was definitively kind of bossing the field of play and they were the better side, even if that goal didn't come in a way that, you know, was a direct result of that dominance. Um, I, I do so like that they I, saw something, though, because this this corner that they scored off of uh, came directly off of a corner before it where they were kind of lined up in a traditional, you know, uh, more, more of a traditional uh, set piece from the corner. And something between that and the second corner happened, and they crowded the keeper and were playing on the line, and I think just went for it. 
It's what the well, it's what Syracuse does if the ball was out swinging from the corner. So if the well, no, so they were like, they I were imagine, both in swingers. The first one, no, they were, big, what's that? No, it was Kalov. Kalov took both. Right? Yeah, and they were both from the same side. No, I thought one was from the left and the. Oh, okay. Right. Is that what happened? Yeah. Uh, okay. Because that's what Never mind because then. that's what Syracuse does if yes. it's an out swinging ball. Basically, if you're imagining Kalov, a right footed player, take he approaches the ball from the right side, the ball is going to come starting at the end line and then dipping towards the D. And so it makes more sense for the players to stay in the box. And when it's on the opposite side, where Kalov scored the Olympic goal yep. from, the ball starts mainly on the outside and then curves towards the goal. And that's what Syracuse has done in all its corners. If it's an in swinging ball, they crowd the keeper. If it's an out swinging ball, they start on the edge of the D. Well, and it worked out. Yeah. And it was it was pretty. And this is, mind you, if anyone who wasn't up there didn't know, the winds were like that definitely had an effect. Yeah. Just under Gale Force. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, it was it was impressive. And they were changing direction rapidly. There were numerous points where like a ball got lifted up into the air and it literally just stopped and dropped. Like there was no like the there was one point where the Vermont keeper cleared it and the ball just went up. And it just dropped outside the 18. And I was like, oh, okay, that's new. <laughs> that, <laughs> physics physics don't work that way, but okay, we'll go with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that into the the Vermont answer itself was, I mean, everybody in the stadium was like, no, nobody's stopping that. Like, it was a, a absolute knuckling rocket from, like, probably 30 out. Yeah. And, uh Yeah. Like flat line kind of had a little rise on it, and you know, Sheely was caught wrong footed, and I don't think anybody saw the shot coming. I thought the way that it flew, I thought it took a deflection, but on yeah. the replays, on the replays, no, that was a pure shot. Yeah, and I don't think even Sheely was wrong footed. I think it was just that it was so perfectly placed in the corner that yeah. there was just no way he was going to get to that. So unexpected, and yeah. put where it, put where it needed to be. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was I mean, the the broadcast literally thought it was deflected as well. And yeah. then they watched the replay and they were a bit astounded that it, it wasn't deflected. Um, but that's how things went into half was was that goal no. was right. before? No. Oh, I thought that goal was right before half. Levante's was right before half. Uh, OK, there we go. So it went into half tie up with Syracuse up two one. Yep. That was yeah. the only all the scoring was in the first half. Mm-hmm. There we go. I mean, we need uh, to talk about that goal. Because well, he just keeps doing this. Like he can't keep getting away with this, but well, he this keeps is, getting no, away this, with this. Honestly, this is just Levante being a good striker, good mm-hmm. attacking positioning, and good finishing. This goal was all Nathan Apoku. Yes, it was. Yes, this goal. This I, I tweeted this out. This is that goal is one of the reasons why Nathan Apoku is a high candidate to get a generation Adidas contract. Yeah, it, if if Apoku is here next year, it's because he turned down a Gen Adidas contract. Like, yeah, the, he's he's going to be gone. Uh, his dancing through the six yard box and laying it off, like having the having the foresight to lay it off to Chris Wondolowski, or uh, like <laughs> it was it was a it was a very Wando goal. Yes, yeah, it like, was, yeah. And not the not the 2014 Wando, the like actual Chris yeah. Wondolowski in MLS. Like he's always the in the spot that, he the needs that to be. 2014 Wando ended up on the roster, right? Like yeah, mm-hmm. Johnson was just w- exactly where he needed to be, and Apoku found him. And that was, you know, it, but like you said, the hold-up play and what Apoku did was what made that. And it's hard to find a striker that can do both. Right. Because usually you have a striker who is 
a hold-up play, but then he's a target man because of that strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other striker who has the dribbling skills don't have the name, don't necessarily have the same strength to be a hold-up player. A Poku not only has the hold-up strength, but he's got the dribbling as well and the passing as well to Mm -hmm. play those roles and what makes him very attractive at the next level. Yeah. Yeah, being that that full package striker definitely will, will come in quite handy for him, and he's he's still quite young. I want to say, I want to say he's a true sophomore. Yeah, I believe he is a true sophomore. That's so. why he can be a generation Adidas uh, oh, uh, yeah. candidate. So yeah, yeah, all in all, I mean the second half, the second half was kind of you know standard nervy was open for a while, and then Syracuse kept like taking the foot back off a little and getting pressured by Vermont and. Then we had a couple of breakouts that really could have put it away, um, including was the Poku sending one into the uh, American equivalent of Rosette. Uh, yeah. Just he leaned back a little too hard and couldn't put that, it on frame. That was he, the he was, one that just really got me because he, he, like, he, again, he did it again for the second time. He beat everybody. He did everything right. He was, he was trying to be he, he was trying to be cute yeah and he was trying to be cute and go for the pretty uh finesse shot into the top corner mm-hmm. but and... you but you put a little bit too much power when you press l1 in circle yep <laughs> yep 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 um so yeah and then you know as literally as time expired cameron holbrook had, Holbrook. A, chance, <laughs> had a chance that, that just that one, skittered wide. that one that one barely, like whistled by the right post yeah so uh, all in all, a hell of a win for for the Cuse, and you know, great to see them go back to the College Cup for the the second time. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have enough noons bucks to head down to carry this Friday. However, I'll be watching it, and uh, probably since I'll be sitting here at home live tweeting it, um, it's very tough to do that from the stadium when you're trying to actually follow the game. Um, Again, also in Gale Force wins. Yeah, because well, you know the the press box for soccer is non-existent so Mm -hmm. i was in the front row of the bleachers because there was that many people on the hill uh it was by the time i got there uh it was already packed like packed to capacity Mm -hmm. so uh again they kept show they keep showing the hill on the uh on the tv broadcast and the students looked like they were having a good time in not a great weather situation (laughs) no i do want to I do want to give a little preview on this uh, on this next game for Syracuse, though. Yeah. Because Creighton. Uh, Syracuse-Creighton, it's a stylistic difference matchup. Because, well, like we said, Syracuse is a defensive team. You've seen that this postseason if you've been following along with the defense. And we've talked about it already, how good of a defense this is. Um, Syracuse coming, in, coming into uh, the Final Four games is fourth in the NCAA in teams' goals against average. Creighton is the number one scoring, is number two scoring team, excuse me, in the entire NCAA at 2.7 goals per game, and they have the NCAA leading goal scorer on their team. Yep. For context, Levante Johnson has, what is it, 10 goals now on the season? Nine, 10 goals? Uh, yeah, that was 10 because he and Poku both yes. had nine. Mm-hmm. Creighton has a player named Duncan McGuire who has 22. Right. That's a thing. Mm hmm. Um, so Creighton is effectively kicking and screaming, give the ball to McGuire instead of the Italians <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Not, uh, not great, but we'll see. Um, 
I know I know Syracuse is. I was trying to figure out uh, what Syracuse's uh, scoring average was. Um, so that yeah, they've scored they've scored forty three on the year. Creighton has scored sixty three on the year. Um, that's pretty much a goal a game better. Yeah, Syracuse is thirty eighth in the NCAA um, with a uh, one point eight seven per game. And Creighton, yes, is pretty much almost a goal per game. Yeah, we're going to get tested. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, Creighton, Creighton what? Uh, their three NCAA tournament games were 3-2-3-2-3-0? Yeah, and one of them was against Kentucky. Right. Which was the number one team, the number one seed. And then the last game yeah. was against Duke, who was the number seven seed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you hear Creighton, you think of someone we might play in basketball in November and not really uh, expect, you know, much like Akron. When you see Akron playing us in football, it's very different than Akron playing us in soccer. And yes, I know I was there when we lost to Akron. Yeah. 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 You had to bring up that team. Well, you also had to bring up men's basketball. And so in the last 10 minutes here, we should probably talk about <laughs> Men's basketball. Anyone who's watching on the feed um, can see how excited all three of our faces look right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went one and one this week. They beat a not great Notre Dame team. For reference, Notre Dame and Ken Palm is right next to um, the Richmond team that Syracuse beat in Brooklyn and the um, Colgate team that Syracuse lost to uh, at the Dome. They beat Notre Dame by one point in South Bend. Um, but in the game against a team that is ranked and pretty good, uh, the orange got the doors blown off of them. Um, I don't really know if there's anything to take out of this week that we didn't already know, but Christian looks like he's ready to say something. At least we're not Louisville. That is the takeaway of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) That's been the takeaway of this basketball season. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yeah, it doesn't matter how far we can, how far down we go. It doesn't matter how bad we are. We will not be Louisville. Um, I guess the the biggest thing that I got out of the sorry, out of I just the saw today's that ba- I just saw today's Louisville score. Yeah. I hadn't seen today's Louisville score. Eighty to fifty three against Miami. Not great anywhere around here. No, yeah, let's not be Louisville. Louisville yeah. has broken the seventy point barrier once this season. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you wait. You're not supposed a good to time score to. Be a Cardinal. To, and and for for other reference, this is not a uh, uh, Virginia team coached by Tony Bennett that is not scoring and also playing good defense. This is just a team that can't do either. Yeah, they've given up at least seventy points in all but two regular season games. Seems fine. Syracuse is going to get a lot right by playing Louisville. Um, no, Judah they're going to get might... nothing out of it. It's going to be the equivalent of playing an FBS school in football. <laughs> yeah, that's actually more accurate. Yeah. Only one game, unfortunately, and it's at the KFC Yum Center. Mm-hmm. Something weird is going to happen in that game. I'm not ready. I'm not mentally ready. It's for January it. 3rd. It's the first game after the New Year's. You know, since it just, we're... all, it just yeah. all magically melts together. You know, since we're saying this all, that we're probably going to find a way to lose that game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Syracuse is going to Syracuse. There. Well, especially, 
Say, notice how, notice how quickly we all said yes. Yeah, there's no, there's no hesitation. <laughs> like, yeah, we think we should win it. We're gonna lose. It's fine. Hundred percent. Um, Judah Mintz is the best player on the Orange. That's been validated. Uh, uh, I but well, who's well? Let me rephrase. Judah Mintz is the best player who is consistently getting the ball in his hands. Uh, uh, hopefully that changes, please. <laughs> yes. One would think. Anyone? Um, is anyone listening? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Edwards needs more touches. Um, we talked about it. At, hey, guess if what? You the game to, proved that. Yeah, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, where Kevin basically unloaded um, his frustrations on the basketball team in the podcast, I would highly recommend listening to that. But this really did feel like a tale of two games where they tried to play Illinois the way that the players want to play, and then they played Notre Dame the way that we all want Syracuse to play, and they beat Notre Dame and they lost to Illinois by a lot. Um, I This team is going to be so frustrating to watch, guys. I gave you yeah. that impression. Yeah. <laughs> is all will the games be, we've played so will continue far. To be... <laughs> like, oh, literally all of them? Um, I'm not going to lie. I only watched the Notre Dame highlights because that game was on after the U.S. Netherlands game and we were at the bar and I literally just told the bartender who was like, I'll put the game on for you. I literally told him I can't handle any more pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't see it's the like, end no of it. I, th- I thought they were going to lose because when I left here, it was looking like they were very much going to lose uh, to get up to the hill to cover the soccer game which is why I showed yeah. up at the soccer game so late because I was trying to watch this because, well, yeah. why? Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the, unlike, un- uh, unlike me, unlike, unlike me, you didn't have to write something for this game. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Hindsight. Like I, Point. I, I like confession. I didn't watch the U S Netherlands game because I had to have the strength to watch the Syracuse game. Well, in retrospect. Oh, uh, since we're talking World Cup, um, shout out to Kamal Miller and Tejan Buchanan, who did Mm -hmm. get, uh, Canada got knocked out in the group stages. Uh, Those ended early this week after our last pod. Um, And yeah, I mean, it wasn't a phenomenal showing by Canada on any accounts, but it was a team that hadn't made the cup since 1980-something. 86, maybe? Um, yep, and so Tejon Buchanan is officially in the record books as the first men's assist uh, in Canadian World Cup history on Alfonso Davies's goal, which was the first goal. Uh-huh, and it looks like my internet has decided to break itself once again. Um... I'll see if these guys come back soon, but if not, we'll wrap it up here shortly. I think that is going to be it. So yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Um, feel free to like, subscribe, get a hold of, uh, get a hold of us for uh, anything you need on the site, uh, noonsmagician.com. And I guess like follow, uh, you know, leave us a review to help expand the Ottoman Empire and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>